Hello everybody, and welcome to a new episode of Gaming in the Wild, a video games podcast about games from the artistic, creative side of the tracks, from indie to AAA. My name's John, I'm your host, I'm recording on a Friday evening out in Reykjavik, Iceland, as always. It's a warm, grey, autumny feeling kind of night, um, but I've had a, a busy week this week with games. I've had quite a few fun experiences playing all different kinds of games, and I'm going to talk about some of them with you today. Um, the featured game of this episode is a pretty interesting one, actually. It's a, a game jam game done good, and I love those stories where something starts out as an experiment um, and becomes a full-fledged game. So I have one of those to talk about with you today. It's called Shotgun King, The Final Checkmate. Um, I've been playing this one for the last couple of weeks, but the embargo has finally lifted, so I can talk about it on the show, and I'm going to do exactly that. I've got a couple of other games to touch on as well. I played a new indie game called Adore, um, and I've been playing a little bit of Horizon Burning Shores as well, so I'm going to revisit that one just a little bit. Um, But there was also a lot of news this week, so I think maybe we will start there. So Gamescom is a big video game convention happening out in Cologne, Um, It has an opening night show hosted by Jeff Keighley of the Game Awards, who does a live show with a few announcements and updates and that kind of thing every year. Um, So it's a little bit like the Summer Games Fest um, vibe, but in Germany this time. Um, And if you watched it, you probably missed the pre-show. And if you listen to the show all the time, you'll know that I'm a big fan of Kyle Bosman. He's a, a video game commentator Twitch streamer, former host of the Easy Allies podcast. Um, he was sitting in on the MinMax podcast um, for the last few weeks. And I love Kyle. He's so funny. He's got such a dry sense of humor. And he did um, a 30-minute segment at the start of the show as a pre-show, um, and announced a few games, told a few jokes. If you missed that, I recommend watching it. It's just so funny. He does like the top 10 reasons to watch Gamescom. It's like a whole skit. Um, really recommend that. But I've picked out 10 games from Opening Night Live and from the Future Games show, which happened the next day. So I'm going to run through 10 games that jumped out to me in this sea of announcements and updates. Uh, The first one is Little Nightmares 3. Um, I know a lot of people out there love the Little Nightmares game, that side-on gothic horror game where you play a little kid in a big world where everything is strangely sized and macabre and there are these long arms that reach out for you. Uh, Great use of light and that sort of thing. Uh, There are two games in the series already. I've tried them both. I didn't quite gel with them myself, but I know a lot of people love Little Nightmares. So Little Nightmares 3 was the first big announcement. That's coming out in 2024. The next game that caught my eye was called Nightingale. Um, And this is a very pretty looking open world fantasy game, uh, which I'm always up for. I'm always up for a bit of a Skyrim-y type of adventure. Um, This one has really nice graphics, it had nice landscapes, it was pretty vivid and um, it felt like the contrast had been pushed up, it was quite nice to look at. It also has survival elements, so you're going around mining stuff and building stuff. And it has a card game, which is what caught my eye really. You see a lot of open world fantasy games, but the cards kind of jumped out to me. Not quite sure how they factor into the game as a whole. Um, But the combination of a nice-looking fantasy world with some exploration, some crafting, and cards uh, jumped out to me, so I will be keeping an eye on Nightingale. That's another 2024 release. Uh, The third one I've got here is pretty different. It's another open-world game, but this time it's an off-roading game. It's part of the Mudrunner series, and it's called Expedition, a Mudrunner game. And this one looked so tranquil to me. You're driving a 4x4 through very difficult terrain, off-roading, realistic terrain, 
uh, with deep mud, with rivers, with logs, with uh, steep slopes and dry sand, and you're dragging your car over all of this terrain, basically. It looks so chill. Um, I like the idea of having a 4x4 and just being given license to go out and uh, drive through the world, basically. Um, looked kind of zen-like. Uh, that one is Expedition, a mudrunner game. Um, next, it was two heavy hitters, basically. Uh, one of them is Cyberpunk 2077 Phantom Liberty. Um, I've talked about this quite a few times already. I'm on the record as an unlikely but really significant, um, significantly enthusiastic Cyberpunk 2077 convert. Um, I played that game with low expectations, and I found it to be one of the most satisfying uh, and deep and interesting open-world games that I've played, um, right at the very top tier. So we've had a lot of announcements about this one already, but they did announce that it's going to be the final big update. It's going to be the 2.0 version. So after incremental updates over the last couple of years, um, and the 1.5 version, which brought the game to next-gen consoles, 2.0 will be the final release. Um, it has a redesigned skill tree, which looks a lot more uh, legible than the, uh, the very tangly skill tree in the base game. It looks more streamlined and more sequential, uh, so you can see what your skill choices will lead to next and more clearly envision the kind of V that you are creating. Um, it has renewed combat with an air dash and an enemy grapple. We saw some people parrying bullets and flying across the battle area. It looked so cool. Um, the combat is really kinetic and fun in that game. Uh, we also saw a, a glimpse of the car combat, which was not in the base game at all. Uh, we saw V leaning out of car windows to shoot backwards at cop cars that were chasing. Uh, we saw some footage of shooting whilst driving through the window. That looks really, really fun as well. Um, and there is a new police system, so you get chased if you do crimes and that kind of thing, which I think would bring Night City to life, actually, thinking about it. Like, I do like driving around Night City, um, but I can imagine it being a little more um, engaging if there is people chasing you and that kind of thing. So that looks really fun. Uh, that's coming out on September 26th. And of course, the Phantom Liberty DLC will be coming out as well with a whole new storyline with Idris Elba, with uh, Keanu Reeves reprising his role. So I'm very excited about that one. Um, and the last in this segment, um, the opening night live segment, was Alan Wake 2. Um, this is the first Remedy game since Control, which I absolutely loved. Um, and we've seen a little footage of it before. We saw some police officers creeping around in a sort of survival horror, Resident Evil kind of scenario at night uh, with enemies jumping out at them and very detailed graphics. Uh, but we saw something different in this presentation. We saw more of Alan. So it seems like there are dual timelines in this game, or at least dual worlds. You're going to be controlling Alan as well as those police officers. Um, and Alan Wake has been stuck in the dark place, which is like a nightmare parallel New York. Um, but one of the most interesting things about this presentation was the use of live action footage. Uh, we have seen a little bit of this. It was in control. Like when you talk to the director in control, sometimes there would be um, a sheen of film footage that would appear over the play area as someone was speaking to you. You'd see a silhouetted filmed figure smoking and looking to camera. It was a really, really interesting effect, actually. And it looks like they're taking that one step further and that Alan Wake 2 will have actual live-action film um, incorporated into the game. We saw Alan on a talk show, uh, which reminded me a little bit of Immortality, uh, we saw Alan in a Twin Peaks-style environment. They all looked very surreal and interesting and weird, and I think the more weird that Remedy allow themselves to get, uh, the more interested I am in Alan Wake. 
Uh, that one's coming out on Game Pass next month, so I'll be looking forward to that one as well. And the day after Opening Night Live was the Future Games Show, and they showed off tens of games. It's a really, really long list. I've looked through and um, watched all of the trailers that caught my eye, and I've picked out five here. Um, most of them are games that we've heard of before, but a couple of them aren't. Um, the first one was Robocop Rogue City. This one is a game that's been missing in action. Um, I'm a huge fan of the original Robocop film. I think it's really top-tier, pulp, action, satire, sci-fi. It's just such a good movie. Um, if you haven't seen Robocop, it's actually worth going and watching it. I think it came out in the, the 80s. Um, I watched it when I was probably way too young to watch it. It's a pretty gory 18. I remember having my mind blown as a kid um, because there are, you know, there's quite a lot of gore in it, basically. Um, but Robocop is very rich for a game. I played a 2D pixel Robocop game back in the day. Uh, but this one looks like um, it has open world areas, so you can explore the city as Robocop. Um, it has very slick-looking cutscenes. Um, it looks like the Peter Weller Robocop. You can kind of recognise that face, or at least the bottom half of it, uh, below the classic Robocop helmet. Um, but one thing that I did notice was, whilst the cutscenes seemed to nail the look and vibe of Robocop, uh, the actual gameplay is first-person and mostly shooting. Um, and if you take Robocop out of the frame uh, by not being third-person and actually being in a first-person view... You can't really tell that it's Robocop anymore. It just looks like a shooter, which was a little depressing to see because you really want to be seeing Robocop all the time to get that feeling of being Robocop in this world. So I hope that this one doesn't come out as just a generic looking FPS. Um, I really hope that it has that full Robocop flavor. Uh, but that one's coming out on November the 2nd. It got a little bump back from its um, September release window. That's Robocop Rogue City. Uh, the next one is another game that I've been excited about, but this one got a delay too. It was pushed back to quarter one of next year, and it is Pacific Drive. Um, if you haven't seen this one, it is a driving game with a roguelike element. The devs call it a road-like. Um, and it's a game where you drive a station wagon through an, an Area 51-style region where there is all kinds of paranormal shit going down. There are lights in the sky there are strange things occurring. You can get out of the car and run into buildings, uh, but you can also be tracked down and taken out if you're not careful. Um, you get to upgrade your car between runs to be better equipped to deal with all of the paranormal stuff. Um, it's just an interesting concept. It's graphically cool, um, and I really like the feel of it. It has this sort of Stranger Things-y, X-Files-y kind of feel to it. Looks great. And we saw a little bit more of it, uh, but that's been pushed back to quarter one of next year, which is bad news for my fantasy critic team that we are running in the show's Discord because I had Pacific Drive on my team and it is locked in so I can't drop it. Um, I'm not doing very well in that league, but that was a bit of a, an extra kick in the teeth as far as fantasy critic goes. Um, the next game that I picked out here is another driving game, but very different in style and very different in look and very different in feel. This one is called Phantom Spark. It is made by June and Torvi, uh, both of whom are actually based out here in Iceland and who I know a little bit. Uh, June was the creator of the game Nuts, the Apple arcade game with uh, squirrels that are up to no good. Uh, but this is very different. It's a, a time trial sci-fi racing game, and it looks very, very cool. It had a very slick presentation. A very nice trailer came out for it. It looks very, very smooth. It looks very, very zen. And you're driving around these futuristic racing tracks, like a combo of kind of Wipeout and maybe like F-Zero. Um, but 
The twist here is that it's a time trial game. So you're racing between checkpoints, you're trying to beat your best time, you are competing against your own ghost and the ghosts of other drivers online to try and just get the best times, basically. Um, and I do think that AI is often where driving games fall down. Um, so that's been removed from the equation here. And what you have instead is just a very beautiful looking, very clean sci-fi driving game with time trials. Uh, so that one's Phantom Spark. Um, I was really happy to see the trailer and that one is definitely on my radar for next year. Uh, two more to go. Uh, we had another look at Europa. This is a very intriguing looking adventure game with a Studio Ghibli style palette, uh, very bright, vivid colors, a hand illustrated style. Um, a demo came out of Europa on Steam. So I'll be checking that one out too. And the final game that I picked out of this, uh, this massive week of announcements was Hellskate. We have seen one trailer of this before, but we got a better look at it now. It's a combat skateboarding game. Um, a little bit like the concept of Rollerblade, um, Rollerdrome rather, the, uh, the skating game with shooting that we saw a couple of years ago. But this time it's melee attacks. So you're using giant hammers, you're using swords. It has a dark fantasy look to it. Looks very kinetic, looks very slick. Um, I like the mixture of uh, slick movement with combat. Um, that one's called Hellskate. Um, really enjoyed the trailer for that. That one's coming out in 2024 as well. So loads to look forward to, as always. Um, but now to talk about a couple of games that I've actually played. Um, the first one I'm going to talk about is Horizon Forbidden West, the Burning Shores DLC. Um, I did a full episode on Horizon Forbidden West um, already, so you can find that in the back catalogue. I absolutely adore that game. It's, it's the nicest looking game I've ever seen, I think. And every time I go back into that world, I'm, I'm really struck by it. Uh, first of all, the fidelity. Um, you know, a lot of people moan about 4K and 60 FPS and all of that stuff. And I think a lot of us aren't such sticklers on that stuff. Um, but it is really nice when you actually get that. And I can see the appeal. It's such a crisp, high resolution image that you're looking at with so much detail. Um, and when it's mixed with as brilliant lighting as we have in this game, um, and the great art style as well, um, and the smooth 60 FPS animation. It's just absolutely beautiful to look at. Um, it's such a, a rich world. There is so much to see. Um, I love the tumble-down LA landscape. Um, and the Burning Shores DLC is another area of game. So after the events of Forbidden West, you go down to Hollywood in pursuit of a bad guy, um, and that's what the Burning Shores is. There are new characters to meet, and I was very, very happy to meet a classic character from the Frozen Wilds DLC who recurred here. Um, so there are callbacks to Earlier Horizon as well. Um, it's another beautiful area of game. It's a contained but pretty sizable area of game. Um, it has a new vehicle. You get a skiff so you can travel around on the water. It has some new activities, including aerial time trials. Um, so you have to chase a kind of a ghost line and you get story payback for completing those. It has new monsters. It has some new power-ups, new weapons, um, and I really got into it over the last week. It's such a joy to be back in the Horizon world and really enjoying it. Um, I think the reason that I initially bounced off it is because the original Horizon, I think, is set in the Denver area or the Colorado area, um, and whilst it's clearly recognisable as post-apocalyptic America, um, there weren't any major landmarks in it. It's not like you're, you know, it's not like Spider-Man where you're web-slinging across the Statue of Liberty or whatever. It was like slightly anonymous Americana, and I think that really suited the game. You didn't feel like you were in a theme park as such. You felt like you were actually exploring this uh, believable landscape, or it was 
not overly distinctive, if you know what I mean. Um, and this one takes place in Hollywood. So we have the Hollywood sign, we have some LA landmarks, um, and that, it turned me off a little bit, to be honest. I can see why they would do it, of course, you know, when picking a city, why not Hollywood? But at the same time, it felt just more contrived, you know? It felt like more like a breadcrumb trail of beautiful views uh, rather than a believable world. It felt like some kind of balance had, had uh, ticked over, if you know what I mean. So it did take me a while to get into it, but I am into it now. I'm enjoying the story. There are lots of spectacular things to see and lots of new gameplay. So enjoying that one a lot. And I'll see how I get on with it. I might end up doing a full episode on that when I finished it. Um, and the final game I'm going to talk about in this intro block, in this epic intro block, I guess, is Adore. This is an indie game that came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, there was some curiosity about it in the show's Discord. Um, I got a code for this one. I've been playing it. It's a top-down creature-collecting game where you run around some little fantasy levels that are interlinked uh, with portals. You get a map so you can travel between them and see where you're going. Um, and you capture creatures in this game using a kind of a fishing system uh, where you have to hook them and then you have to pull back uh, whilst evading their attacks until they snap into your inventory. Um, you can then assign them to face buttons. You can have four creatures captured at once. Uh, when you hit the face button, they appear and they will attack for you. So you can bring out your uh, creatures whilst evading enemies and try and win combat and boss encounters and all of that kind of thing. The animals are AI controlled. Um, so you're really just controlling the main character who can't do an awful lot. Uh, they can't jump, they can't attack. So you're evading, um, collecting loot and just letting your monsters do their thing, which led to a slightly passive feeling gameplay style to me at least. There is also a hub village where you have quest givers and a shop and a portal that you can use to go into battle. So you're really just fulfilling these little quests, which are basic combat levels, trying to capture new creatures, powering them up, that sort of thing. Um, I bounced on this one pretty hard, though, I have to say, and the first alarm bell was in the intro sequence, which had bad writing. Um, I just wanted to skip it and get straight into the game. So I was skipping story, and that's never good in the first few seconds of a game. It certainly puts more pressure on the gameplay if the story hasn't invested you. Um, and unfortunately, the, the gameplay didn't help. Um, I found the movement to be very slow and stodgy. It has a slow base run speed. It has a very slow dodge roll. Uh, you can't change the direction once you're rolling, and it seems to animate just forever. So I felt like I was running through mud, and I felt very disempowered uh, by the movement in this game. I do think that you can power it up with speed boosts later on, um, but to start feeling so unsatisfying just gave me no impetus to continue with this game. Um, I had an immediate feeling of impatience that I wanted what I was seeing on the screen to be going a bit faster. It's, it just felt very sluggish and slow. So with no good story elements and without uh, satisfying movement and quite passive gameplay, I have to say that I just bounced on this one. I also found the scenery to be very sticky and the character can't jump. So, you know, in a lot of games, there doesn't really need to be a jump. Like, it's not necessary for gameplay. I'm reminded of games like Nuts, actually, and um, Adios, a game that I covered earlier this year. These are games where you have no business jumping. In one of them, you're a scientist. In the other, you're an old farmer. Both first-person games. But jumping allows you to clear basic obstacles. So if you have slightly sticky scenery where your character might get caught on something whilst trying to walk past it, if you've got a jump, even if you don't need it for anything else, you can just hop out of that situation and, and carry on on your way. So I can see why games that don't need a jump put one in there. It's just a good utility for the player to be able to move more freely. 
Um, and the lack of a jump here, I think, hurt the game a little bit. The lack of a melee attack hurt the game a little bit too. The move set was very small. So um, I'm not going to dunk on that one anymore, but I thought I would give it a shout out as I know that some people in the show's Discord and some listeners have been curious about a door. Um, check out a Twitch stream of it. See how the movement looks to you. It could just be a me thing, uh, but I certainly bounced on that one. That's a door. And that's the end of a pretty epic intro block this week. But before I get on to talking about Shotgun King, allow me to mention this is a patron-supported show. Um, we have a whole bunch of patrons who give a dollar a month or more to the podcast to help me cover costs of producing the whole thing and just show some support. I really appreciate all of my patrons for doing so. If you would like to join in the Patreon, you can do so at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. You'll get 10 bonus episodes, and I'll be making a couple more this year, including the, the annual video game roundup show, which is for patrons only. You'll get an invite to the Discord, where you can talk to all of the other patrons and talk to me. I'm in there every day talking about games. Um, I learn about all kinds of games from there. People are sharing loads of indie announcements that I might have missed. It's a really cool and friendly place. Um, so you're welcome to come and join us. That's patreon.com slash gaminginthewild if you'd like to support the show. Big thank you to all my existing patrons, and thank you to you, listener, if that's something that you're considering. Um, and with all of that said, let's move on to the featured game of this episode, Shotgun King, The Final Checkmate. Shotgun King is a game that I hadn't heard of until I got an email about it in my inbox. Um, I was sent a code to review it, which I really appreciate. Um, it came out actually last year for PC in its original form in May of 2022. Um, but this is the final checkmate, so it's like an ultimate version of the game. It's expanded um, and it came out yesterday. It came out on August 24th, 2023. It was developed by a team of three who go under the name Punk Cake. Um, they have a great story, actually, which I'll go into a bit more in the, the main meat of this uh, review. Um, but Punk Cake is Benjamin Soleil and Remy DeVoe um, as the developers, and has a soundtrack, a great soundtrack, actually, kind of synth music that we're listening to right now by Pentadrangle. And Metacritic has this one at 78 for PC, but that's only from three reviews. And from what I'm seeing across the console formats that came out only yesterday, it's only got a handful of reviews, but they're all between 7 and 8. I think the highest is 85. Um, How Long To Beat has this one at one hour for the main story, seven hours for main and sides, and 37 hours for completionists, uh, which will tell you something about the roguelike nature of this game. Um, and the developers describe it like this. They say, chess, but you replace your entire army with the Royal Shotgun, a unique strategy roguelike based on the timeless checkboard classic. I mean, I have to say about this one that it's a turn-based roguelike that's a mutant form of shotgun chess. It's light on content, but the brilliant concept, the ever-evolving rule set, and the affordable price make it an indie oddity that is worth experiencing. Um, and I think I'm going to start talking about this one by talking about the development story of Shotgun King. Uh, Punk Cake is two game devs and one composer, uh, Benjamin Soleil, who was one of the co-founders of Motion Twin, um, if you've heard of that studio, it might be because they made Dead Cells, but Benjamin left before they made that game, but he was one of the co-founders. Um, the other developer is Remy DeVoe, who is a self-described game dev school dropout. 
um, and they make games together in Remy's Pico 8 inspired game engine, Sugar. Um, it's an engine for making retro style games and it has intentional limitations. Um, so they look retro, they have a restricted color scheme, um, they have pixel graphics and they have limited control schemes and that sort of thing. So it's a little engine for making a certain kind of small scale game. Um, and that's what they do. They operate a lot like the Sock Pop Collective do Punk Cake. They run a Patreon that has a few hundred supporters um, and they make one game a month. I think they're up to 15 or 16 now. Uh, this was their ninth game. And I'll put a link to their Patreon in the show notes in case you are curious like I was about the kind of games that they've made. There's a whole spectrum of different genres that they've made in this tiny game engine. Um, but one game a month is, of course, a lot, especially for just two people. Um, and one classic way to make games quickly if you fall behind, which is apparently what Punk Cake did, is to enter a game jam. Um, so they entered Ludum Dare 50. Um, the theme was Delay the Inevitable, and their idea was simple. They would make a game across the, the course of the game jam, just power one out for their Patreon supporters. Um, and their idea was to do a variant on chess, uh, but with a really big twist. And the twist is that you play as the Black King, and the Black King is a tyrant, um, and all of their court, all of their bishops, knights, and their queen and their pawns have been killed or run away because they are just horrible. Um, and they've decided that the world is against them and that they're going to fight their way back to the throne room and take the throne back from the White King. So they get their royal shotgun, they pump in a couple of bullets, and without the help of any of the pieces, they decide to destroy the advancing enemy forces and battle up to the throne. Um, how this game actually looks, it's pretty easy to understand when you see it. You're looking down at a chessboard, like a classic old school pixel art chess game, um, but it has that dash of crazy genius of just this black king holding a shotgun and blowing away all of the white pieces as they come towards him, moving like chess pieces do. So the black king can only move one space at a time, um, but the white pieces, you know, they move like knights, they move like bishops, they move diagonally, you have the multi-directional queen and so forth. Um, and it has so much meme potential, that idea. You know when you hear an idea that just clicks just um, a shotgun-wielding king blowing away the opposing chess pieces is just genius. Um, and the shotgun king ended up winning the game jam. Um, it's one of the biggest game jams in the world, and I'd say certainly the most well-regarded. Um, the game went completely viral on social media. People were just tickled, I guess. And I was too when I heard about this, this, uh, this weird little chess game. Um, so it went super, super viral. Um, so this game that took three days to make ended up getting 20,000 likes on social media, um, the devs set about turning it into a Steam version for a speedy release, and three weeks later, it came out on Steam, became a low-key indie hit, I would say, um, and, and now it is Punk Cake's first game to get a console release. It's been ported to all of the Xbox, PlayStation, Switch uh, platforms. You can get it there now, um, and it's a polished-up version called Shotgun King, The Final Checkmate. And I will talk about what is different in this game and what those embellishments and improvements are that differentiate it from the game jam output. But first, let's go into the basics of this game. So it is chess. Um, you are the king. You have the base moves of a king. You can move one square at a time, at least at first. Um, or you can stay still and reload. Um, so there's an interesting system in this game where you can stand still and shoot if you want to. 
Um, you can be put in check, which means that you have to move, of course, or, or kill the enemy piece. Um, and if you're not in check, you can fire. Um, you can reload instead of moving, um, but your bullets run low, so after a while you have to move. And every time you move, you'll get one shell back, which you can then reload into your shotgun. So there is incentive to keep moving in this game, uh, but you can also just stake out a position and use up all your bullets if you find it advantageous. Um, and how you shoot in this game is really cool. It's a, it's a great mixture of turn-based, you know, the classic chess. So you get a couple of action points. You can move a couple times before your turn is over and the enemy moves. Um, but the right stick is free aiming, which I absolutely love. So you can use the right stick to aim freely. You can see the cone of your shotgun. Um, so it's a really funny little twin stick control scheme in a turn-based chess game. And the shotgun has a range that covers a couple of squares, but you can improve it over time. Um, you can also improve or reduce the spread, the range, the power of the shotgun. And there are um, supplementary weapons and specials that you can pick up. Um, enemy pieces have HP, and when you shoot them, you see a little number pop up. Um, if it's a pawn, you can probably take it out in one shot, especially if it's close. If it's a more powerful piece, it might take a few blasts. Uh, but you can hit more than one piece with a shot, depending on how the spread and range of your shotgun is on any given run. Um, so you can hit a lot of pieces at once, and it's pretty satisfying mowing them all down. And to win a level, you have to destroy the White King. If you destroy the White King, all of their remaining pieces will be eliminated. Um, but those pieces are going to come between you and that White King, who may well hang back and make you fight for it. Um, but even this offers some immediate strategies. For example, you can clear the board of the onrushing enemy pieces and just go wild, leaving the White King helpless, and then, you know, move around, reload, take them out whenever you're ready. Or you can try and get to the King as soon as possible if you don't fancy your chances, if you've got some moves that will allow you to skip a few spaces, maybe you can get to that king. And if you can take them out quickly, then the rest of the pieces will just explode. Um, so you have a couple of strategic choices right off the bat. Um, but there are a lot of wrinkles in chess, in this version of chess, uh, mostly in the form of the buffs and debuffs system. It's one of those double-edged reward systems where at the end of every level, you will get a power up. You'll have a choice of two. Um, but every power-up comes with a disadvantage, and that is that it also powers up the enemy. So you have to look at the strength of the power-up, you have to look at the uh, the handicap of what the debuff, the enemy power-up, is going to do, um, and figure out a strategy to try and get through this, because every level will get more and more crazy in all kinds of different ways, because as you're powering up, the enemy is powering up too. Um, and there are lots of very, very funny effects that you can get. For example, uh, you might get um, a shotgun that can shoot further and wider and more powerfully, or you might get grenades, or you might get a powered-up blade so you can just um, execute any piece that's standing next to you in one hit, and all of that kind of thing. Uh, but as you are getting more powerful, there might be more bishops on the opposing side, there might be castles that appear after 15 turns, which puts time pressure on you um, and forces you to play in a different way. Um, there might be an extra queen in the enemy camp, uh, which is obviously a huge disadvantage because the queen is a very powerful piece. Uh, but then again, you might be able to get a power-up that puts down a moat. That means that enemy pieces have to stop in that moat for two turns before they can come at you. So all kinds of emergent scenarios uh, come out of the, the wide variety of power-ups and enemy power-ups that you get between levels. Um, and it makes for some really, really funny scenarios. I've had some some very, very funny 
um, chess scenarios that came out of this stuff. For example, I once got a power-up that gave me an incredibly powerful shotgun that could take out any piece in one hit, basically, with a very, very wide arc. So I was just blasting everything in front of me in a six-square range. But as a trade-off, the enemy slowly started building up more and more pawns until there were 16 pawns facing off at me. Um, and then an enemy debuff gave the, um, or rather an enemy power-up, gave all of those pawns spears so they could attack um, two squares in front of them. And suddenly I was being stampeded by these crazy, fast, powerful pawns with spears. But I had my giant shotgun to just blow them all away. And it turned into absolute carnage, basically. Um, Another scenario was when I was getting more and more ammo and a very powerful blade strike, so my, my king could execute pieces just by being close to them, and that made me charge in more often to try and get to them quickly. Um, but a condition of that was that all the knights had to be dead before I could kill the king. Um, and there were three knights, so you have to take care of all of the knights before you can kill the king. Um, even with my powerful weapons, that got quite tricky. And on top of that, there was yet another twist in the tale, was that I picked up a card by accident that regularly spawned semi-invisible knights. It was an absolute disaster, like I picked poorly on that run, but it just led to such a strange scenario, where I was surrounded by these invisible knights and I was fighting them off with a blade, completely different to how the game began. Um, and I haven't had it again since, so it was just one of all of the, the strange emergent scenarios that this roguelike allows to occur. Um, and it makes you play very differently. Sometimes you'll be keeping your distance, uh, sometimes you might get a power-up that lets your shotgun be more powerful, but only if you're on the edge of the board. So you end up staking out different areas of the board. Uh, it makes for some wild rounds. Um, it's really, very enjoyable. It can sometimes be a little frustrating to try and keep up with the rules, because runs aren't long, you know, they're over in, you know, under 10 minutes, um, usually. Um, and the rules change a lot, so trying to remember exactly what the enemy can do and what you can do is quite a lot, especially if you play several rounds in a row. And I have. I have played this game for hours at a time and been quite addicted. Um, you do need to internalise a new set of rules in every round, um, like a kind of a mini Hades. You know in Hades how sometimes you will end up with these amazing crystals that blast everything away with lasers. You end up setting traps and luring enemies to you. Sometimes you have to be hyper-aggressive if you have different weapons. Sometimes you have to smash enemies only against walls, so you move differently. And you get a similar sense of variety in Shotgun King, which I think is really very impressive, given the, the constraints of the game and the smallness of the game. And I think that one of the things that I like about Shotgun King, and one of the things that a lot of people like about it, I imagine, is that it's just a very ingenious idea. It's a simple idea, and it has that, that sense of humor to it. It's mischievous, um, but it's also very clever, because most people know how chess pieces move. We know that bishops move diagonally. We know that pawns move one square forward and can attack one square diagonally in each direction. We know that knights do their little L-shaped move. So it's playing on the fact that the player probably knows the basics of chess, and that's all you really have to know. Um, but there are ways to die that are a little different to chess. For example, um, if you are in check, you can move out of check, but if you shoot a piece and destroy it, 
and then come into check because there is, for example, let's say you shoot a bishop and behind that bishop is a queen that puts you in check, that's game over. The queen will race in and just take you out and that's the end of your run, um, which I find a little frustrating sometimes because um, it's quite a fast moving game. It's not strategic like chess at all. It is basically like a chess-like shooter with some degree of strategy, most of which is provided by that power-up variation that I've talked about. Um, but you can get taken out. Um, you can also lose your health. You have two opportunities to uh, move into check before you are actually killed. But there's a lot of stalemates in this game as well. I often found that if you get surrounded, then you're basically in trouble. There's no way that you can move. Um, and if you don't have the firepower to take out all of the pieces around you, um, you can go down easy that way too. But I did manage to battle through this game and actually complete the, the, the main mode, which is called Throne Mode. It's 12 levels, you get to the final one, and then there's a single boss to defeat, um, the White King. Uh, and that's really your lot. You can unlock new weapon types, there is an endless mode, and there are various difficulty modes, but it's a very, very short campaign, which took me a little bit by surprise, I would say. So let's get on to some of the good things and bad things about Shotgun King. I think the first thing is that it's just a fantastic concept. It's catchy, it's fun, you understand it right away. It's very, very simple, very, very ingenious. Um, I would also praise the roguelike powers that have been put here. They are pretty, pretty imaginative and they can change the game wildly. Um, things can escalate very quickly. Um, runs can be incredibly different from the last run in terms of the way that you are playing and the behavior that you employ. And it all feels quite easy to understand and pick up in a way that I really enjoyed. Um, you can be all powerful in one level and then suddenly be in a lot of trouble because you are forced into a difficult choice and the enemy suddenly has two queens or something like that. So all of that roguelike gameplay variation works very well. Um, the chess itself is very fun and simple. Um, I like the simple Game Boy style graphic um, and color palette. Uh, the music is good, the sound is good, uh, the chess itself is very fun and satisfying. Um, I liked the free aim on the right stick, blasting away enemy pieces felt very satisfying with a wide angle, long range, powered up blunderbuss. It just feels good, you know, you will, you will cackle playing this game, or at least you will if you are me. Um, the story is way too short, but what is there is really, really fun. There is good characterization of this dysfunctional Black King um, and these oppressive white chess pieces. It's a good little story for what it is. Um, and something about the constraints of this engine uh, make it feel very satisfying. It's just satisfying that such a simple, crisp, funny idea uh, just worked out, and it was made in this very, very simple engine. Um, it's an awful lot done with a little, um, and that's something that is quite enjoyable in indie games sometimes. But there is another side to all of these constraints as well. Um, it is a game jam game, and so it was made very quickly. And it is made by these very specific developers who make a game a month and have all of that going on. Um, but there are other constraints here that felt less good to me. Um, I think there is a rich lineage of games that have come from game jams and done very well. We know about Celeste, we know about Loop Hero, uh, we know about Hollow Knight. 
they all started at Game Jams and then were taken all the way and reached their full potential. Um, but I have to say that I think Shotgun King doesn't quite do that. It is not drastically, dramatically expanded on that original concept. Um, so it doesn't follow that path. Um, it's actually very low on content. Um, so whilst the chess and the roguelike and the repetition is great, um, the meta game and the progression and the meat of what is done with that um, is lacking. Um, there is a 12 level story mode called Throne Mode. Um, it's completable in under an hour. Um, I completed it in 41 minutes. So I started this game. I was, felt like I was just learning the ropes. I was getting addicted. I was getting into it. I was enjoying myself. And then it was over uh, and I didn't know what to do. It was like the end of the game. You get a little end sequence and then you're kicked out back to the start screen. Um, and I didn't know where to go from there, really. There's endless mode, sure. Um, you can do it again if you want to. Um, but that's it. Um, and I felt like a bit sad about that and a bit frustrated by that. There is so much potential here. You know, if there was, for example, if throne mode included a pawn boss, first of all, and then a knight boss, and then 12 more levels, or, you know, five more, whatever, and then a bishop boss. Um, or, or more devious behaviors from uh, different kinds of enemies as you go through the level. There is so much potential here for a more full game experience in throne mode. Um, just the structure around the brilliant base game here to keep you playing. Um, but here, you just do the 12 levels, you get to fight final boss. Um, there is only one boss, it is the White King. Um, and then that's your lot. You just do it again on higher difficulty. Um, so I felt that this lack of content kind of disincentivized me to get as into this game as I think I could have done. Like, it's like if Hades, like you escape from the dungeon once and then it just goes straight to the heat board rather than having that reason to keep playing and keep playing. Um, the story that continues and continues and continues. It's a key element of roguelikes is progression and is that you feel like you are accomplishing something because otherwise the repetition can feel a little dry. Um, and I guess that this game trades on the idea that the core concept of being a king with a shotgun and playing this fun little variation on chess um, is enough. Um, I would say that that is a slight misstep and that it might have been worth in this uh, final checkmate version uh, putting a bit more content into the game just to make it last a little longer and to make to make you feel like there was more meat on the bones, you know. I would have really, really liked that. So the end game just came too soon, I would say. Um, the only other criticism I've got here is that they added tutorialization for this release, uh, but I felt that it was actually quite lacking. I had to Google a bunch of stuff. I was getting power-ups like uh, soul cards and blades and things like that, and I didn't know how to use them. Um, so the tutorial is basically a small info dump the first time that you play. Um, you cannot reference it after that, I think. Uh, maybe you can from the menu screen, I don't know. I couldn't find it. So I ended up Googling some stuff, like how do I use the blade? Um, and how do I use soul cards? And these are things that would have been really, really helpful to know. So I think even though they did the welcome move of putting tutorialization into the game, which does go against the instincts of these particular developers, um, it is a good gesture, but it wasn't quite pulled off properly. Um, but those are some small qualms, and I do think that it's a, a really cool game. I'm really glad that it exists, and I'm really happy to have played it. Um, it's an ingenious game with a really great story. Um, and I, it's a game jam game, but I do wish that it had been taken to that, you know, Celeste level. So it was like the ultimate final form of Shotgun King. I don't feel like it was taken all the way, but I do recommend 
picking this one up. I think it is just 10 bucks. Um, it will probably be on sale at some point. You can get it on itch for cheaper if you want. I played it on Switch where it was perfect. It feels like it belongs to the Game Boy lineage somehow. It's a perfect pick up and play game. It would be great on a flight. Great if you're waiting in a doctor surgery, something like that. Great game for just filling in those little moments where you want a simple thing to play. Um, if you keep your expectations in check, it's a really, really fun miniature pick-up-and-play roguelike with a great story. Uh, that is Shotgun King, the final checkmate. So that was Shotgun King, the final checkmate. I hope you enjoyed that review. Um, I really do recommend picking this game up, especially if you are a Switch owner. It is a really fun little game to experience, even if just for a short while. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode. I'm not quite sure what it will be about quite yet. I am playing a little bit of Cosmic Wheel Sisterhoods, the, the pixel art tarot deck builder. Um, I have tried out a little bit of Kill Squad, the, uh, the top-down twin-stick shooter. Um, Blasphemous 2 is sitting on my Switch waiting for my attention. I'm yet to finish Viewfinder. And I also have Burning Shores. And of course, in the next week, we have Starfield arriving finally. So lots of fun stuff coming up and lots to talk about. Um, but I would like to hear from you. Have you played Shotgun King? What do you think of my take on it? What do you think of the structure of the game? Um, and which game would you like me to cover next? You can always reach out and tell me. I'm on Twitter as Gaming in the Wild. I'm also on Blue Sky, Instagram, YouTube, Facebook. You can find Gaming in the Wild everywhere. You can also email me, johnisgaminginthewild at gmail.com. Um, and of course, you are welcome to join the Patreon, support the show, join the community. I'm in the Discord every day, so it's really easy to reach me there. Um, you can do that at patreon.com slash gaminginthewild. Um, so thanks very much for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other, and bye-bye for now. <laughs>